The reason that Murat Gassiev has been out the ring for so long has now officially come to light. I say officially because there was rumours for a long time, but at least here in the UK we didn't hear anything uh, formal from any of the major boxing outlets or from any of the parties involved. But now I can regrettably reveal to you that the reason for his, what is it, two-year absence from the ring is the age-old problem of promotional issues. Yep, there's nothing that keeps fighters out the ring for longer than legal issues behind the scenes with promoters and managers. And that appears to be the case for Murat Gassiev right now. So boxing scene, boxing scene, excuse me, say they have obtained a copy of legal documents which were filed in a Florida court by two of Gassiev's co-promoters, Warriors and Ural. The lawsuit names the following defendants. Gassiev himself, his manager slash promoter Vlad Hurinov, Patriot Promotions, the Russian Boxing Federation, and a particular Russian Boxing Federation officer called Umar Kremlev. Now what's interesting about that to me is that Gassiev has got so many promoters. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about Warriors and Ural, that's two. Then there is Vlad Hurinov, that's three. Then there's Patriot Promotions, four. Unless Hurinov is the uh, head of Patriot Promotions or involved in that company somehow, so perhaps that's just one promotional company uh, rather than two separate ones. You guys let me know. But either way, it's a minimum of three different promotional companies, possibly four, representing one boxer. What's that all about? That doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> and then, of course, it's quite interesting that they're suing the Russian Boxing Federation. And this is not unprecedented, of course. Frank Warren sued the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he had some type of legal issue with the British Boxing Board of Control back in the days. I think he sued them and nearly bankrupted them. And here we have uh, one of Gassiev's promoters or maybe former promoters doing the same thing in Russia, suing the Russian Boxing Federation and a employee of that organization. Now, according to this Boxing Scene article, Gassiev is scheduled to fight on October 31st, so not long now, in Russia. And also according to this article, he had tried to break free from these two promotional outfits, Warriors and Ural, several times in the past. And I guess this is why he's, or one of the reasons why he's been out of the ring for so long. They say that, well, he says he tried to break free from them and he claims he's a free agent now from them due to the fact that he's been so inactive. So he's claiming that they haven't delivered on the number of fights that his contract stipulates they should deliver. But they are saying that Gassiev pulled out of several fights because he was injured and therefore that pushes back the uh, expiry date of the contract. So certain contracts guarantee the fighter a certain number of fights within a certain time period. But if they usually have clauses or often have clauses whereby if for no fault of the promoter's own, the fighter doesn't manage to fight, for a certain number of times in a particular year that then extends the contract okay so let's say it's 
I don't know, uh, four fights in two years, but the fighter is injured in the first year and he doesn't fight at all, it then stretches out to a three-year contract. You see it. So that is what Ural and Warriors are apparently claiming, and I'm sure Gassiev disputes that. So let's see what happens here. Let's see if he does go ahead and fight on October 31st in Russia. I hate to see a fighter out the ring like this. I mean, in all the years I've been making YouTube videos, I've covered Andre Ward's promotional dispute that kept him out the ring for a long time when he was trying to break free from the Goosens. I talked about Mikey Garcia when he was out the ring for about two years, when he was trying to basically wait, wait his himself out of his contract with uh, top rank. He was waiting for his contract to expire. See that contract right there between Garcia and Aram, that appeared to be a contract which just had a time limit on it rather than a particular number of fights that not only did the promoter have to guarantee the fighter, but the fighter had to guarantee the promoter. So in Garcia's case, correct me if I'm wrong, it was apparently a situation where he just had to wait for his contract to expire, even if he didn't fight in the final two years of it. So I covered that. And also uh, Artem Aterbiev, when he was trying to break free of his contract with Yvonne Michel. So it's always sad to see because in boxing, time really is money. You've got a finite amount of time to make life-changing sums of money, a very small window, and therefore you need to get a move on. You need to make the most of it while you're still young enough to be a world-class fighter. Murat Gassiev, I'm not sure what age he is. Does it say in this article? I think he's still fairly young. He might still be in his 20s, actually. I know, I know he is a very young guy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say he's in his late 20s, early 30s, possibly. And if he's fighting not long from now, October 31st, and that's going to be a heavyweight fight, and the legal issues can rumble on in the background, but he can still get in the ring, then he does have time. Now, we might still see Murat Gassiev's prime years at heavyweight if he's in his late 20s now and if he can continue fighting from now on on a regular basis. So let's see where this goes. Hopefully, it gets resolved either in the court or out of the court to where all parties are relatively satisfied and they can all go their separate ways. So let me know what you think about this in the comment section below, people. And how do you think Murat Gassiev is going to do at heavyweight? How many of you think he should stay at cruiserweight? Because Usek has gone up now. Meris Breeders is thinking about going up. So couldn't Murat Gassiev stay at 200 pounds and maybe dominate the division? Or maybe not. Maybe some of you think he would get beaten by someone else at 200 other than the likes of Breeders. So let me know what you guys think in the comments below and how do you think he'll do at heavyweight as well. Errol Spence says he'd be interested in fighting Canelo Alvarez 160 pounds in the Cowboy Stadium in his home state of Texas. He said, quote, with Canelo, yeah, I definitely entertain that. That can happen. That's a huge fight. That would be huge for the Cowboy Stadium when we're back to 100% capacity. That's another mega fight that I could have. I could have a lot of mega fights. It takes quite a few pounds to get down to 147. I wouldn't have any problems fighting at 160, but at the end of the day, 
is down to the guys in suits, end quote. Now, some people have looked at this and said, well, it's a case of a PBC fighter using Canelo's name to pick up some traction ahead of an upcoming fight of his. Errol Spence, of course, is fighting Danny Garcia uh, in the not-too-distant future, December 5th. And so they're saying, well, mentioning Canelo's name is just going to draw attention to him and his fight. It could be that, or it could be journalists who have asked Errol Spence, what do you think about a Canelo fight? And he responded to it. It isn't always as cynical as fighters clout chasing by throwing names around who are a lot more popular than them. Sometimes it is the journalists who actually set these situations up. And it's the journalists for their newspaper or for their website that are trying to get website hits or trying to sell newspapers. So you can't always blame it on the fighter. On top of that, you've had Floyd Mayweather in the past who said that eventually the pound-for-pound crown will be contested by Errol Spence and Canelo Alvarez and they're going to have a showdown in the ring. Now, Mayweather has been wrong with several of his, of his predictions in the past in terms of who's going to become pound-for-pound king. I remember he was adamant that Chad Dawson was going to take over the pound-for-pound mantle and be a dominant force in boxing. That obviously didn't take place, and it was Andre Ward instead that was pound-for-pound for a while. But in terms of Errol Spence against Canelo, Canelo's such a big guy, even at middleweight. Is he ever going to fight at 160 again? That looks unlikely at this point anyway. And although Errol Spence is big for welterweight, he'd be small next to Canelo. I mean, there's not that much difference in height between the pair of them. But look at Canelo's build compared to Errol Spence. And they're of a similar height. So, I don't know, man. And perhaps Errol Spence is responding to a journalist. But then again, perhaps he's jumping the gun talking about Canelo because he has to get past Danny Garcia first. And not only get past Garcia, but it's also about getting past this terrible car accident that he had. We don't know if he's going to be the same when he steps in the ring. So I'm just being objective about the situation. I know some people are saying Errol Spence is clout chasing. I don't know how he was asked the question. And of course, you have to remember that Floyd Mayweather brought this potential fight up many years ago. And so people, journalists are going to remember that, some of them. And they're going to keep on you know, talking about it. And I'm sure Errol Spence himself has brought up the Canelo fight in the past uh, as well. But let me know what you guys think in the comment section below. If we could go back to a pre-car crash Errol Spence, how much chance would you give him against Canelo Alvarez at 160? I'd be very impressed if Errol Spence was able to fight Canelo Alvarez and even push Canelo Alvarez close. Because right now, I would expect Alvarez to win that fight handily. I don't know whether he'd stop Errol Spence. I don't know how Errol Spence's punch resistance would be up at 160 or maybe even 168. I mean, I don't know how, how far Errol wants to push it. Uh, would he be able to take Canelo's power when people like... Uh, Sergey Kovalev, a light heavyweight, couldn't take it? You let me know what you guys think in the comment section below.
According to Bob Arum, the two front runners for Tyson Fury's next fight are now Ajit Kabayel and Carlos Takam. If we slide on over here to the WBC heavyweight rankings, of course you've got Tyson Fury as the champion, Povetkin as the interim champion. And in terms of the top 10 contenders, Kabayel comes in at number 15. Carlos Takam is nowhere to be seen in the top 15. So it would require the very cynical move, which many of these sanctioning bodies, if not all of them, regularly make, where they pluck somebody who is sometimes nowhere near the top 15, and overnight they give them a top 15 or top 10 ranking to accommodate their champion. What's the point in even having a top 15? if that's what you're going to do. What's the point in even having a rule where the champion's supposed to fight somebody in the top 15? If you can just arbitrarily, or more accurately, the champion can arbitrarily pick anybody out of the top 50, and you're going to give them a top 15 ranking just to accommodate. And what's the point? It really is <laughs> farcical, the way these sanctioning bodies operate. With that being said, Carlos Takam has been a tough heavyweight over the years he's given us some entertainment he's put on some decent performances he's pushed some fighters very very hard but he did get knocked out by Derek Chisora and Tyson Fury is the WBC world heavyweight champion he claims to be head and shoulders above everybody else he claims to be on a different level and if he's making that claim shouldn't his opponents also be on a different level should he be plucking people out of the top 30 or top 50 rather than fighting somebody who's already in the top 15? Is that the conduct you expect from somebody who claims to be the best heavyweight out there, head and shoulders above the rest? You let me know. As far as Caballel, from a stylistic point of view, it's probably not as entertaining a fight as the Carlos Takam fight, but from a credibility standpoint at least he's in the top 15 at least he's still relatively young at least he's still unbeaten so yeah I can see why some people might not like the Caballel fight because he from what I've seen is a fairly negative fighter uh, but still you know he is a guy who has his best years ahead of him and he hasn't tasted defeat yet whereas Carlos Takam has tasted defeat and his best years are almost certainly behind him. And of course, Caballel beat Derek Chisora, whereas Carlos Takam was knocked out by Derek Chisora. Obviously, those were very different fights. Takam was actually beating the brakes off Chisora until he got caught, whereas Caballel was moving around and running from Chisora the whole night and he won, was it a majority decision or a split decision? So you guys let me know what you think in the comments below about these front runners to face Tyson Fury in his homecoming fight in December, Ajit Kabayel and Carlos Takam. Because when you look at the rest of the WBC top 15, you've got the likes of Andy Ruiz, you've got Luis Ortiz, you've got, I'm not going to mention Dylan White because he's already tied up with another fight. Yes, Ortiz is, but it's only a journeyman, so he could easily drop that fight. So you've got, and I'm not saying Ortiz is any great shakes, to be honest with you especially at this age and after multiple KO defeats. But 
as I say, Andy Ruiz, former world champion. A lot of people, based upon previous videos I did on this subject, said they'd like to see Andy Ruiz get the opportunity to fight Tyson Fury. And let's see if Fury can do a better job than AJ did when AJ fought Ruiz in that rematch. So you've got people like him in there. Joseph Parker, okay, he's tied up at the moment. And he's far too pally with Tyson Fury to probably go ahead and fight him. Dubois, too early for him. Rivas, a lot of people said that would be decent. Hergovic, would Hergovic take it right now? We know Michael Hunter would take it. And that's my personal choice. In an ideal world, I'd like to see Tyson Fury take on Michael Hunter. Joyce is tied up. Chisora's tied up. Charles Martin. Uh, <laughs> you know, I actually think that quite that could be quite a fun fight if Charles Martin fought Tyson Fury. I suspect, I could be wrong here. I suspect that during the the you know last eight months or whatever, Charles Martin probably hasn't been keeping himself in shape. <laughs> that's that's just a suspicion. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm assuming he probably hasn't been keeping himself in shape. And even though December is far enough away to get yourself in shape, perhaps Martin isn't really even ready for them. You know, won't even be ready for them because he's so badly out of shape now. I don't know. I could be way off here, but, but I'm just assuming that based on what he did after the AJ fight, where he really let himself go. So I don't know. And a Jagba's nowhere near ready for championship level by his own admission. So anyway, let me know what you guys think in the comments below. Tyson Fury's next opponent is at the moment likely to be Ajit Kabayel or Carlos Takam. There's a training partner of Deontay Wilder, who is apparently a heavyweight prospect called Rafael Akpajori from Nigeria. And in this interview with the Sun newspaper in the UK, he is claiming that Deontay Wilder is in superhuman shape and that Wilder is preparing for the Fury fight in December. Now, of course, we've heard from Tyson Fury, we've heard from Bob Arum, we've heard from Frank Warren, and they are singing a completely different tune. They're saying that the fight's not happening in December, they're moving on, and Tyson Fury is fighting somebody else completely. Agpajori says that, according to Deontay Wilder, he's just training for the Fury fight. He's been told that's what's going to happen, and he's ready to go. It all, for me, comes down to the radio silence from Deontay Wilder. Because if Deontay Wilder really wants this fight, why don't he go on social media and say to the world, Tyson Fury is not getting out of this. I want my revenge on him. I'm in phenomenal condition. I'm ready to go. And it's Tyson Fury who is, you know, not allowing this trilogy fight to take place, not me. Why isn't Deontay Wilder doing that? Because Deontay Wilder is that kind of guy. Deontay Wilder, during the whole rivalry with Anthony Joshua, that's all he was doing. Constantly trash talking on social media. Where is he now? How come he's not trash talking about Tyson Fury moving on and fighting somebody else? You know, one of the interesting things was reading the comments of Shelley Finkel over again. Because if you read closely what Shelley Finkel said, the tone of what he said, it sounded like he actually doesn't have any legal recourse to force Team Fury into a third Wilder fight. That's what it sounded like from what Shelley Finkel said. So something here doesn't add up. 
Why would Deontay Wilder, you know, Wilder and his team delay the fight for so long to the point where the contract expires? Surely they would have got the fight done by hook or by crook while the, the contract was still valid. But somehow they've allowed it to expire. Now, I've seen some people in the comment section of recent videos I've done on this topic, and they've said that they believe Wilder exaggerated the severity of one of his injuries in order to allow the contract to expire. Because although his team won it, Wilder doesn't really want it himself. So that was his way of getting out of it. That could be true. I personally believe that Deontay Wilder don't want the fight in his heart, but he was going through with the fight because he was trying to save face and he was trying to live up to the image that the people around him previously had of being this warrior and this king and scared of nothing and nobody. I think he felt pressure to live up to that following the Tyson Fury defeat. So he might have, you know, in my mind, the fight might have happened. You know, that's what I said immediately afterwards, uh, after he lost to Fury. I said, yeah, the, the rematch might happen, but I don't think Wilder really wants it in his heart. It's his team around him who are trying to secure the bag. One last payday out of this guy. <laughs> you know, potentially one last payday. So, yeah. Uh, Deontay's silence for me speaks volumes because he's somebody who normally talks so much. And... It appears as though his team have either been lying to him. That's one possibility uh, in terms of telling him, oh yeah, we're going to get the fight done. We're going to get the fight done and simply not making him privy to the fact that the contract was about to expire or as other people have speculated, Deontay Wilder was the one who decided to run the clock down because he didn't want the fight. So... Whatever the case may be, it certainly appears at the moment that Deontay Wilder will not be fighting Tyson Fury next and Fury will be going in a different direction. Perhaps Wilder can do some soul searching and maybe Tyson Fury will be kind enough if there's no contract at the moment, if the, if the contract has expired, maybe Tyson Fury will be kind enough to him to give him a voluntary shot early next year or maybe, you know, the winner of Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. Could they be enticed into giving Deontay Wilder an immediate shot after that? Possibly. But at the moment, Deontay Wilder is in the wilderness. And if he's not going to get that Tyson Fury fight, I would like to see Deontay Wilder come back. Because he is an exciting fighter. People get this impression that I hate Deontay Wilder and all this kind of stuff. Nothing could be further from the truth. As a character, yes, he's a bit jarring sometimes because he's, he's, you know, he's not the brightest guy. He says a lot of stupid things, does a lot of stupid things. But as a fighter inside the ring, he's provided tremendous entertainment over the past few years. So I'd love to see Deontay get back in the ring. Put him in there against, I don't know. In fact, let me be fair. He did take a humiliating defeat. So maybe it's asking a bit much to want to see him back in the ring in his next fight against Andy Ruiz. Maybe that's asking a bit too much. Put him in there with somebody where it's like, you know, 60-40 in Wilder's favor or 70-30. Let him get some confidence back. Let him work on some things. Maybe get two fights between now and the next time he challenges for a world title. 
if he challenges for a world title again. So let me know what you guys think in the comments below about this individual, Rafael Akpajori, who is a training partner of Deontay Wilder. It doesn't say sparring partner, it says training partner. I think they've got the same strength and conditioning coach or something like that. Uh, let me know what you think about his comments that Wilder is telling him that he's still preparing for December because if Deontay Wilder knows very well that the Fury fight ain't happening and he is this kind of character that I described in the previous video I made about him, then he would say that kind of thing to training partners, wouldn't he? Because he's still trying to project this image. He's tr still trying to save face. He doesn't want to let people know that, oh, I'm trying to run the clock down so the contract can expire so I can get out of the rematch. He's not going to be running around telling people that. He's, when you meet him face-to-face, -face, training partners or whatever, he's still going to be trying to give the facade that, yeah, I'm ready and I'm a king and I'm this, that, and the other. Whereas deep down inside, he don't feel that way. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. I'm out. Is your debt causing you sleepless nights? Knock your debt out with Debt KO. And your debt won't be the only thing keeping you up at night. Debt KO. Free, impartial advice on all your debt. This is Umar Ahmed for IFL TV in association with MTK Global. Ushmai Salas has uh, grown a bit, hasn't he, John? Yeah, yeah. He's, um, he's been eating the secret ingredient. That I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's had a growth spurt overnight. It's been a long time. How are you doing, sir? You all good? Yeah, I'm doing good. I just uh, this time I'm coming already. Already I've been two weeks here, so just making the things and then can happen on, on November 28th. Of course, this fight's been rescheduled a, a multiple number of times. You wanted to do your, your camp in Las Vegas. That's where you set out. Yeah. Has it been a bit of a, a hindrance, a disadvantage doing your camp here rather than Vegas? I would uh, love to have... Um, for things to go as planned as we have been doing in Vegas because I was getting you know really good work and it's just a, a shame that it's been postponed so many times but now it's finally happening and it's happening for the fans on November 28th so um, we've done what we can brought Salas over here yes it's good to good to um, good to have him over and um, so been good doing some good work good good round sparring today and um, things are looking up so I'm, I'm just improving um, on the stuff that Sal Sal Salas is teaching me. So we're just like building, building, building things up as, a, as he says, programming. <laughs> Ishmael, of course, uh, we can't fly anyone in to spar Joe because of the restrictions, etc. Has it been difficult finding sparring uh, for Joe in the lead up to the Dubois fight? Yeah, actually, the, right now, the sparring partner we, we have right now is is a good enough, you know, because the way we can, we can bring all the uh, ingredients. We've been working, you know, we're drilling every day, drilling and drilling, drilling to create the muscle memory. Um, uh, he, he just using the sparring and for me, sparring, okay, okay. Good rounds with Fabio Wardley today and Johnny Fisher. Yeah, so obviously England's got good, good people to spar. There's plenty yeah. of heavyweights here, so. It's not like we're staff for sparring. There's plenty of good guys that are going to come and uh, help me out. Joe, of course, uh, since it got announced that it won't be on pay-per-view, I ain't spoken to you. Disappointing in terms of uh, you and Daniel and, and the promoters of t television having to take less money. But 
the fact that you're getting this on, doing this for the fans, uh, a lot of credit to you and Daniel. Yeah, I mean, it's we've had to have a haircut, as, a, as, as probably I might need, but um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the fight's happening, so everything's good, everything's working out well, and I just look forward to putting in my best performance of the night and just uh, knocking out Dubois. A lot of people in boxing see this as 50-50, but if you ask the more perhaps casual fans, and uh, the bookies would suggest as well, they got Dubois as a favourite. Do you find that disrespectful considering your amateur career, uh, your more experienced than Daniel, fought better opposition? Why do you think that is? Uh, I think that's because he's been built very well and he's looked spectacular knocking out the, the people he's faced. So um, he looks great and, it's, uh, and it looks like I'm the underdog. So I don't mind that. It's, he's got more pressure than I have because he's got all yeah. them, them people like think he's going to win and then when he doesn't, then it's going to be a bigger fall. Of course, uh, we know also that you'll be sparring Anthony Joshua in the lead-up to this fight. Just uh, Is that confirmed that will be happening, yeah? Yeah, probably um, later in the camp. Yep, yep. Yeah, but um, yeah, so it'd be, it's great. It's great to, to, have, uh, to be back in the ring with him. It's been a while since I've, I've seen him, chatted to him and see how he's getting on. And uh, hopefully I'm, I'll be able to see all my uh, GB brethren. <laughs> Ishmael, looking, to that, uh, looking forward to that spar between Joe and Anthony Joshua? Uh, yeah, he's, uh, anyway, uh, he's a great fighter. Um, to finish it up the uh, uh, training camp uh, for the uh, Dubois fight with Joshua will be nice and then we can evaluate, evaluate how much we've been improving and if we will, uh, hopefully we will be ready for that day. Without giving too much away, Ishmael, as his trainer, why do you believe Joe will get past the early rounds? A lot of people think Dubois' best chance is there uh, to get Joe out from round, say, one to four. Why do you think he'll get past those rounds? Yeah, no. Nah, you know, people can say whatever he... If you see Dubois, Dubois uh, knocking out people, but look the opponent, you know? He's a very lower class. He fought the Japanese. He beat their Japanese. Yeah. Japanese. What is that? And the last one... No disrespect, but mm -hmm. I mean, Fujimoto, like, the most... Mate. Yeah, you know, so the opposition being much lower than Joe. Joe being always facing some opposition. He he been beating guy, he been dropping guy, and whatever they can say, but, you know, the 28, their night, is the time we will show how much, who is the, the guy. It's the biggest fight in the year here in England, so we will put on a good show. That's why we're working so hard. We know Joe's uh, tremendous chin and engine and relentlessness and to be able to go at that same pace for 12 rounds. Do you think people are underestimating and overlooking Joe's power in this fight as well? Yes, of course. I, I believe because if you see the, the guys who fought with him, uh, it's not the pressure Joe bringing to the ring. Joe is a different level. At the level he's been doing the uh, all fight. Now Joe got the bigger chin, Joe got the big, biggest uh, engine, Joe got the bigger power. So let's, let's, let's try it, let's try it. I like it, I like it, I like it that way. Do you think we're gonna see a much, let that go, a much better Joe Joyce because the opposition has, has gone up in this, in this Dubois fight? Yeah, I, I think with my experience, I can rise to the occasion and he is a very good 
skilled boxer and I think it's one of them fights where, you know, depending on the opponent, you raise your game and I'll definitely have to raise my game against the bar because any, any stray shots he's hit me with, they're going to hurt. We know Dubois number two in the, uh, the WBO, just behind Alexander Usyk. So not only is this a brilliant fight, but there's so much at stake. Because once you have completed this fight, you're only going on to, to big fights and potentially a world title fight. Is that playing on your mind in camp, Joe? No, not really. It's just one of those things where I have just to focus on the fight at hand. And then after that, then you know, obviously the world's my oyster. And then I can think about this is after the fight when I'm back in my hotel room watching the fight back, saying, oh, yeah, good, I did good well, I did well yeah. there, well there. But, you know, most importantly, it's about getting training right and make sure I've done everything in training, ticked all the boxes, I've learned all I can and um, just incorporate it in the fight. You know, uh, I think it was back in April when the first uh, fight was announced, when it was first supposed to happen, there was a little push and a shove between you and Daniel. Uh, where did that come from? How did that even start? It's just like it's just like a tense situation. It's the way in. We both don't really like each other, so it, it's just it's just one of those things that happens in the heat of the moment. We're getting ready to go to war, to go in the ring, and you know put our lives on the line. So it is um, bound to get a bit tense, and you know stuff like that happens. People, a lot of people thought he made quite an unsavoury comment as well on that day. Is that something as well playing on your mind, or are you, are you forgetting about that? No, I still got it, but I'll, I'll just remember it when he's, uh, you know, when he's tired and he's hurt, and I'm just punching him up. <laughs> Ishmael, have you got have you got a quick prediction for this fight? What do you believe will happen? No, we go for KO. Yeah. KO, we go for KO. Giving or taking, we will take. <laughs> do you agree with that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is all, all action, all action. Yeah. Juggernaut against dynamite, yeah. explosive war. But I think I think we're both technical. We both come from uh, the GB stable, so you know we both have good fundamentals. Yeah. And so, so it's just going to be a great night of boxing. Well, listen, roll on November 28th, Dubois Joyce, not on pay-per-view, BT Sport. Joe Ishmael, thank you very much for your time here on IFL TV. Best of luck in the rest of the camp. All right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Is your debt causing you sleepless nights? Knock your debt out with Debt KO. And your debt won't be the only thing keeping you up at night. Debt KO. Free, impartial advice on all your debt. Flex and welcome to the latest edition of Seconds Out Flexpectations. We're here every Thursday, 4.30pm, to look ahead to things going on in the world of boxing. Um, and this week, you'll have to excuse the uh, strange backdrop and uh, angle of trying to crop the radiator out, which you might see still a little bit to the side of me. I felt a bit like Terry Waite on one of those hostages. Bad taste joke, but also a dated one. Um, this week, there's not loads going on this weekend in terms of big fights happening, with all um, due respect to Sergei Lipinets and um, Castillo Clayton fighting for the IBF interim welterweight title, um, which is on Showtime on Saturday night. I spoke to Castillo last night, really lovely guy, that'll be up today, um, might even be up by the time you watch this, actually. Um, but we've given that kind of a bit of 
coverage there, but it's not a massive fight, particularly in the UK. So I thought I'd look a bit further ahead and use this episode of Flexpectations to talk a little bit about the judging controversy um, from last week, although that would be more suited to reflections than I've already discussed it, but more so what impact it will have. Um, we found out a couple of days after Terry O'Connor's, um, not just his conduct, but also his terrible scoreline um, for the Lewis Ritz and Miguel Vasquez fight had Ritson way ahead in a fight that for most neutral observers, Ritson did not do enough to win. Um, but there was more controversy arose after the fight um, when pictures emerged or screenshots emerged of O'Connor apparently looking away from the action in the ring um, and instead giving his attention to something else. Originally, people thought it was a, a mobile phone, um, but later on when the tape was slowed down, it seemed to be his scorecard, um, which may be more respectable than looking at his phone but still wasn't looking at the action taking place in the ring, which is no great surprise given the scorecard that was revealed later on. We then found out from the British Boxing Board of Control, um, two days later, I think the release, the notice was issued to say that uh, O'Connor would be called before the board um, due to his appointment to the Ritson fight. That's as kind of specific as it got, it's very vague. Um, but from the interview that uh, IFL did with Robert Smith straight after the show, or the morning after rather, it seems like the controversy in their view is more related to the photographs than the score itself. Um, Robert Smith said he didn't see anything, con his general secretary of the Board of Control, for people that don't know, said he didn't see anything controversial about the score that O'Connor tallied, um, but that he would be talking to him um, regarding the... Uh, pictures that emerged. Now, yeah, it is important if he's distracted from the action and there's been a history of bad scorecards or scorecards that differ from the general consensus from Terry O'Connor over the years. Um, but that's not the only issue. And if the board can see a fight where uh, someone clearly, clearly appears to be outboxed and accept a wide scorecard in favour of the person who should have been a judge the loser, then how are things ever going to change? Um, you know, Robert Smith probably wasn't watching it quite as diligently as the judges, Terry O'Connor aside. Um, but he should still know that it's not a particularly close fight. And even if it was, it certainly wasn't a wide fight in Ritson's favour. So he'll be called before the board, Terry O'Connor, and they'll ask him to explain his actions. But from the kind of feelers we're getting and, and the indications from Robert Smith, they're not going to be asking him to actually explain the scorecard. And I think that's what needs to happen. He needs to be sat down in front of a video, um, only give his scorecard to him between rounds, don't let him have it during the fight, and just watch it back and mark the scores as he goes and justify it. So at the end of each round, I've scored it 10-9 for this guy, here's why. And if that's acceptable, and I don't see how it possibly could be if he comes to the same score as the first time, then we've got a much bigger problem. I spoke to Lou DeBella for DeBella's Digest last night, you'll see this uh, tomorrow. Friday and he said it did give him cause for concern because he's got George Cambosos Jr who's coming over to fight Lee Selby in an IBF final eliminator at lightweight on the Usyk Chisora bill on the 31st of October and he said yeah it does concern me because there's no way on earth and he watched it obviously over in the US on the zone presumably he said there's no way Ritson won that fight echoing the views of most people who watched it um, so he took massive issue with that but as I said to him, and you'll see this on the video, this may be the very best time for the, for his fighter for this controversy to emerge. 
because in two weeks, his fight will be over here, hoping to get a fair shake. And the cloud of controversy and contention from Terry O'Connor's behaviour will still be hanging over UK boxing. So if there's ever a good time to get a fair decision or even to overcompensate in favour of an away fighter, it's now. I don't want to put plant any seeds of doubt in Lee Selby's mind, but, you know, it's a good time, I think, for a foreign boxer to come over because you're not going to see a massive controversy or a hometown decision, if you like, um, so soon after the big furore that's been caused by this. Um but it still doesn't solve the long-term problem. You know, not only does Terry O'Connor need to explain his scorecard round by round to the stewards of the board, he should be placed on some sort of suspension or retraining program because there is a pattern here and it's not necessarily corruption. I'm not even alleging that, but it could be incompetence. It could be distraction, you know, as we saw. It could be anything, but it can't continue. And he's by no means the only judge who turns in a bad scorecard. Um, but it does seem to be a regular occurrence with him. And his ones do seem to be particularly egregious. You know, we can take it all the way back to Tyson Fury being a judged a wide victor over John McDermott when um, Terry O'Connor was the only judge, the scoring referee in that case. But there's been several since. Someone put up a post on Twitter, and I'm sorry I'm not giving them the credit because I can't remember the handle, but it was like Terry O'Connor's greatest hits. And it had about eight on there, I think, maybe more. Um, and people were replying underneath, adding ones that have been missed. And it just shows not only that he's done so many that there's enough to put on a list like that, but also that boxing fans off the top of their head on social media are able to add more that aren't on the list. It shows how deep an impact they've had and just how bad the scorecards must have been. So looking ahead to the board meeting, I, I don't have great faith in the board that they're going to do this because we haven't seen it before. We haven't seen many judges demoted after terrible scorecards or a pattern of terrible scorecards but I hope they will put him on a, a temporary suspension and give him a retraining program make sure he knows what he's scoring make sure there must be guidelines given to all the board officials of what they should be scoring what the criteria is make sure he knows that off by heart test him you know put him in environments put him put an exhibition on put him in a you know put him in a spa not put him in a spa. I'm sure a lot of people, including Miguel Vasquez, would like that. Um, but no, have him, have him judge a spa as a test, you know, and see if it differs from other people judging it. You know, is his scorecard often the only dissenting one in decisions which go the right way? And right is obviously in inverted commas because it's a subjective sport. No, analyse his record in detail. I, I would be amazed if someone from the board has actually sat down and looked at all his decisions over the last couple of years and seen oh yeah, that's a split vote and he's the dissenting vote in X percentage of times. But that needs to be done. If I had the time, I'd do it because I think it'd be a really interesting thing and it'd be damning evidence. But it's not just having the time to do it, it's whether the board would then take it into account. So a lot of ideas there for what needs to be done. I mean, I don't think just sack him. You know, I don't think that solves the wider problem, but I think you make an example of him. I think he needs to be shown the error of his ways and how to correct them. And then going forward, hopefully you get the new crop of judges coming in. And there's plenty of judges now that are really good. I don't think they should all be tied with the same brush. But anyone out there who is vulnerable to distraction or not knowing the criteria well enough or complacency or whatever the issue is, they're less likely to feel they can get away with it if strong action is taken now to rehabilitate, if you like, Terry O'Connor rather than just punish him. Um, but yeah, and also I think we need a wider crop of judges and referees coming through um, who genuinely want to do it for the good of the sport and 
you know, because it's not great money or anything like that, and it takes up a lot of your time, but who genuinely want to do it for the good of the sport, and who come with fresh eyes, you know, haven't been in the sport for a long time, haven't become inured to certain things, or have certain preferences in styles, which is, you know, human nature, when you've been watching the sport for as long as a lot of these judges have, and crack on with it, because it's not doing UK boxing's reputation any good, Luther Bell is just one example of people that are dismayed by some of the recent decisions over here, and it's not only Terry O'Connor. But the fact is, we used to worry about British fighters going to Germany and Italy and places like that and getting the rub of the green. And now I think it's switched a little bit and the, the other countries are worried about their fighters coming here and getting a fair shout. Um, and that's not something we want. You know, we're, we're a hub of boxing at the moment in the UK and credit to the promoters and the fighters for making that happen and the broadcasters. But this tarnishes it. You know, and I think we can't keep doing it. I think if it if it's a one-off and the action's taken, then we can we can remove the cloud, if you like, before it gets too big and, you know, the heavens open. But if we don't, and it's allowed to continue um, unchecked, then it's a much, much bigger problem. Well, I want to hear what you guys think. Not just the Terry O'Connor scorecard, which I think most people outside of the North East will agree was pretty uh, out there. But more to the point, what should be done now about the sport in general and about the judging in the sport in general and Terry O'Connor specifically? Let me know your thoughts because I'm sure there's loads of possibilities that I haven't thought of that would work really well. So let me know. Um, I'll be back on Monday for reflections. Um, I'm not sure what that'll be on yet because there's not loads going on at the weekend, but I'm sure there'll be something. Um, and next week, Thursday, 4.30pm for the next Flex Expectations, um, where we'll actually have a show to look forward to, which is good. Um, really appreciate your time as always um, I'm not chained to the radiator just to show you both hands um, so I'm not this isn't a coded message to come and rescue me you'll be glad to know because no one really wants to come to Snoddle thanks very much for your help no not your help thanks very much for watching and I'll see you all soon cheers <laughs>